0: When does thinking about sin become a sin? And if we're tempted, is there a way out so we don't have to sin? When is a sin a sin? On this slice of fresh bread. Welcome to Fresh Bread, a podcast ministry of Grace Bible Church Gainesville. Pastor Brandon, Pastor Keith. Well, thanks for clicking on Fresh Bread. Fresh Bread, where we're bringing the truth of God's Word to a starving world. Fresh Bread, Podcast 37. I'm Pastor Keith. He's Pastor Brandon. When is sin a sin? And the reason I'm bringing this up is that there is some controversy in some circles where if you're thinking about a sin, is it when does it become a sin? And looking at it biblically, what does the Bible say when exactly do we sin? So, Pastor Brandon, is it— <laughs> Is it still considered a sin if someone only thinks about committing a sin, but doesn't go ahead with the sin? What do you think?
1: Well, that's a nuanced answer. I mean, I think that we have to get deeper. There's a forensic understanding that the Bible gives us, helps us understand the process that... We go through in terms of sin. I think that yes, there are times when when we only think about committing a sin that it's actually sin. But I think that there are times when it's not, and so I think that we could need to really d- dive into that forensic understanding of the process of sin, so that we can understand it completely. So I can't give you. I, it's just hard to give you a general answer. Okay.
0: You, you you once brought up. We we look at James. James is kind of it almost kind of shows the process of sin, right?
1: Yeah, and that's the that's the forensic process I'm talking about.
0: Let's start with James.
1: Well, let's start with James. But I, I before we do that, I do I do want to answer your question. You know, kind of when is a sin a sin? And you know, I think that a sin is a sin is a sin. So I think what you're specifically asking is is that when have I when have we actually? So if we have something that's being called a sin, so the right. you know God has said don't do it when have we actually committed that sin is is what the question really is yeah. is uh, you know uh, asking, you know the the answer is we sin when we break God's law. I mean that's that's clear yet we have to recognize that adherence to his law in, includes an in, internal conformity to his law. so it's it's not an I mean as an example, it's not enough to say that I don't actually commit adultery. I must not even consider adultery in my heart. I mean that's that's the level of that that we need to understand, and you know I, it's interesting because I want to I do want to get deeper into that, and because I think that even God's law there's a there's I know that there is a connection to the in, internal thinking, and we can even see it when we look at the Ten Commandments. But go ahead, let's we can talk about James one if you want.
0: Well, it's interesting because when you read James one and James one verses fourteen and fifteen, James kind of like you said, walks us through, do you say, the anatomy of... Well, the
1: process the of process sin. The process of yeah. sin. The forensic, yeah, the forensic understanding of, you know, what it, what's going on. I think he helps us understand that. Yeah, and
0: James 1.14 starts out, it says, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So there, I think that's the key, right? The lust part. Our own lust is what carries us. So we're almost like being drawn to... Something that is a sin, mm-hmm. but it's still not a sin mm-hmm. at that point. It's a,
1: it's a temptation.
0: And then in verse fifteen it says, "When, when, when, then lust has conceived; conceived it gives birth to sin." Yes. So it it has this this um, birth analogy. Yes. Which a lot of scripture does. And yes. when sin is fully matured, it brings forth death. Yes. So thinking about it, thinking about sin is not there there is a point where you're not sinning. That's
1: right. That's right. It's a temptation. And and we can get deeper into that. I I think it might be helpful, you know, is is it still considered a sin if someone only thinks about committing a sin but does not go ahead with the sin? So I think it might be helpful to to hit on that before we get into specifically into James and working through that process. The you know, the answer to that question, so let me repeat it: Is it still considered a sin if someone only thinks about committing a sin but does not go ahead with the sin? It's interesting that the law demands, and we need to recognize this clearly: the law demands that I only refrain, that I not only refrain from the action, but that I have not have the, the inner sinful attitude. As an example, the commandment "Thou shalt not covet," and I think that this is a helpful helpful thought process to work through. So the commandment, there's a commandment that thou shalt not covet, you know, the person, the man's wife or man's Mm -hmm. house, or, you know, that I shouldn't, you know, envy, have envy for that or desire, a desire for that because it's another man's and, and I said, you know, that what's interesting is, is that, you know, whereas several of the commandments, you know, they prohibit certain actions such as murder, you know, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, Thou shalt not bear false witness. This this particular commandment addresses the inner person, his heart and his mind. Because what is covetousness? It's not actually act, necessarily acting on actually going and taking somebody's house. That's theft. You know that's a that's stealing. That's that. Now you've got into another. You know if I or going and taking somebody's wife. It's coveting. It's coveting them. It's it's a desire for them. And so sin then is an is an inner attitude right It's something that I'm that I desire in in me right And so it's not something that I have to act on but I think that that again what we have to get into is I mean and what I have to understand is that coveting then in this particular situation coveting uh, you know taken to his end can become theft it can become adultery it can become you know bearing false witness for whatever reason I mean it can once I've once I've gone into that coveting, once I've coveted and I've, I've given over given myself over to it, then I it leads to further you know breaking further commandments, and so I think that that is and and it even can turn into resentment against God because if I'm not getting what I think I deserve, you know, if I see somebody else getting, you know, if I see you enjoying something that I don't have access to, then I might even begin to you know blame god for that so uh, under i think that in its in and of itself what we find is is that just thinking about sin can be potentially sin right just thinking about it now the question then becomes well what about just thinking about it well right now you and i are thinking about sin but we're not sinning i mean so I can I can consider it and not not sin so so that's where we get into okay so what is that dividing line how do I how do I know and I don't know that there's a pat answer in the sense of where someone crosses the line from from a temptation to sin I don't know that there's a pat answer in terms of how that how we know we've crossed the line I can only say we know we've crossed the line when we've crossed the line we know that we can we can understand that, that we have but I can't say you know, when that particular situation is. Now, getting back to James 1, 14 and 15, what we find there is a process, a process that, that happens. And so it's interesting that James uses some very interesting verbs in James one fourteen. 14, um, in James 1, 14, which says, in James 1, but each one is tempted. Now, we have to understand with tempted, that that is the Greek word epithemia. Now, what we re- need to recognize is that tempted there that tempted actually the the word tempted has the idea of a great desire. And and in and of itself, we have tended to when we say lust translated lust, but what we what it actually means is a great desire. Now, the word in and of itself isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily connote sin in Luke where the Lord was um, speaking of coming back of, of uh, speaking of the eternal state or speaking of the kingdom, he says, "I have greatly desired to have this to eat this Passover with you and I will not eat it, eat, it, eat it of it again until the king, kingdom Kev, until the kingdom of God And so that same word epithemia is used there. I've greatly desired. It's it's not sinful. It's not a sinful desire. So what happens is is that that word actually takes on the object of what it is what I'm desiring. I could greatly desire a piece of cake, and that isn't necessarily sinful. Um, but I if I greatly desire, you know, uh, some sort of sin, then like lust, like um, like sex, if you will. Then that becomes a problem. So that becomes so. That's why you it, the translators will translate epithemia with with something like lust or temptation or tempting the idea with a negative connotation because they're they're at, they're looking they're doing something that has a negative connotation. They greatly desire something that that is sinful, and so that I just want to make sure we make that under have that understanding. So then, so then he says. He is tempted when he is carried away and and enticed by his own lust. So that then what James is saying, carried away, the idea of carried away, the idea of those two verbs, carried away, the the, the carried away and the idea of enticed has have are are fishing terms. The especially the idea of enticed. So if I have a if if the fish is laying under the log, if you will, if so, for those fishermen out there, you know the big bass is laying under the log, and the lure comes by, then that that in, that enticement is a, an enticement to strike. That it's an enticement. It's something that you that would be enticing. So for a man, it might be a nice looking woman that walks by. Um, there's an enticement to to strike. Now that's that's what's interesting is that should be informative to the to the ladies who listen to this is that when they dress in certain ways there's a they are they're, they're increasing that enticement they're increasing that that temptation to strike that so to, to to do something and so the 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 word carried away has the idea of actually striking and and having some sort of resistance and then being carried away by it and so it's that it's again that idea of of being you know, tempted, being and striking it, and, and being carried away by it. Now, James seems to, James seems to. Now, by the way, he says by his own lust. What we have to recognize is is that it's the lust, it's this desire for this thing that's actually causing it to, to strike. It has you know, the the thing itself isn't necessarily, you know, it's a temptation, but it's the lust that causes the the fish to strike it's the d- desire for that to, to do that so it's it's on me so it going back to my example with women dressing in a certain way it's not their fault that I struck right it's not on them that I struck but but it is on them if their if their intention is to draw attention right I mean in terms of their intention to draw attention but it's not on them it's not their fault that the guy did that right and, and I mean you can't get into because you can't get into you can't say it's their fault because i mean some they could be doing nothing that seems to be that it's untoward and still have somebody be tempted you know by that or lust after them their own lust that is enticing them so that that's a very important distinction that we need to make but then james says then when lust has conceived so he's acted on it like it's it's conceived it's actively acting on it now i th- i would argue that that active acting on it could include only thinking about it like and that goes back to coveting in my discussion and that's why I wanted to be clear in terms of there could you know sin is an internal attitude and begins with an internal attitude that then acts that acts out that that ends up in a behavior and again again that's a process but at some point at some point this lust is conceived it it becomes it becomes comes to fruition in, in the heart. And, and it, it, it's something that, that as an example, if I'm committing adultery, if I'm, Jesus says in in Matthew 5, 28, he talks about, you know, sins and, and the being a matter of the heart. He talks about murder, he, you know, that anger and murder. He talks about, um, you know, lusting after a woman and, and actually committing adultery. and And he, he puts on, you know, once you begin to it's the anger in the heart that, that leads to murder. It's the it's the lust for the woman who that ultimately leads to committing adultery, and so the idea there is that at some point, at some point, there's a temptation. There's a there's a there's a to draw a, a, a desire to strike at that temptation or to 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 grab a hold of it. At some point, that becomes something that I've actually began to it's actually conceived going over in my mind and I'm, and I'm imagining the acting out on this. And so whether, I mean, as an example, it could be murder, you know, I get somebody does something that I become angry about. And so I'm tempted, I'm tempted to be angry about this because he, this person has done this thing. And, and so I, at some point that anger becomes, it, it begins to, it is conceived that, that lust ha- that lust or desire to be angry. Has conceived, and we can see it even, you know, would you know, obviously, with sexual desire and sexual sin, we can see that even clearer because you know you have something that you desire, a, you know, a person that you desire, or you know, some act that you desire that you know you begin to really think about, you know, in your mind and heart before you actually act on it, and so, but that when that is conceived, you know, he, James says when it is conceived, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin and so we we see that sin or that lust then being conceived and and giving birth to sin that, that i'm actually now acting on this thing like i'm actually acting on it now that again i would argue that that could be could very well still be in the mind and heart right but it definitely i'm at some level i'm acting on it like i'm 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 actively pursuing this thing. And so when sin is fully matured it brings forth death, meaning that that eventually I'm going to act on it to a to a point where you know sin sin obviously when the man and woman sinned in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden he God promised in the day that you eat of it you will surely die and they died spiritually when they ate of it, but that spiritual death eventually leads to physical death. I think that's what James is talking about. Is that sin actually leading to, to death. I mean, that anytime I partake in sin, I'm, I'm doing something that's uh, negative, that ultimately is to my demise.
0: So in Matthew 5, you mentioned it when Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart because I always thought that it was different than what James is saying but it sounds like what Jesus is saying is that when you use James's anatomy of a sin you're tempted you're carried away and enticed by the lust that so Jesus is already talking about the lust has already carried the person away
1: Yeah I think you know we got to remember what Jesus is, is saying there and what he's trying what he's proving there is that I mean, he's speaking to the Pharisees he's speaking to the legalist of his age who were trying to basically lessen the effect of sin. And, you know, if I don't, if, you know, I don't commit adultery unless I actually do this, you know, I, 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 that they they were, they were changing the requirement of the law. And so what, you know, they, they were, they were lowering the standard in order that they could exceed that standard. So, The standard of the law is is of the heart and mind. We've already seen that. That's why, again, that's why I brought up the coveting, because coveting is something that's in the heart, right? And so the law itself speaks to the heart, you know. And so, but I would argue that it's it all speaks to the heart. That ultimately it comes down to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving your neighbor as yourself and so that and you know jesus himself says that encapsulates those two commandments so the two great commandments they encapsulate they capture the the entire law so it really is the law really is a matter of the heart that's what jesus is saying in matthew 5 is that that it is a matter of the heart but what he really is trying to get them to see is that you know he says earlier on in matthew 5 20 he says for i say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is is referring to there is that is showing them that it's that the law was always a matter of the heart, and that the Pharisees had lowered the standard. Is what we what we're re, recon, will recognize is that the Pharisees and Sadducees had lowered the standard so that they could exceed that the standard, but it was never the standard that God intended. That's mm-hmm. the that's the point. And so he, what he's trying to show the people is that that it's a matter of the heart. Problem with that is, is that is that what we find is no one can obey the law, right? That's what pushes us to understand grace, right? That's, that's what pushes us to under for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we, the law, if taken in a, a full in its full understanding, none of us have loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength, like without ever fail, right? We don't, uh, other than Jesus Himself. N- uh, none of us have loved our neighbor as ourselves, right? We've never, we've never achieved that, and so that pushes to pushes us toward grace. That we need the grace of God. In Matthew five twenty-one through twenty-eight, is He was explaining that statement in Matthew five twenty, to show that it's always been a matter of the heart, that that the law was always a matter of the heart, and that we always ultimately, it's it, we're always going to fall short, and so you know, that you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven if, you, if your righteousness doesn't exceed that. Well, he just, in fact, 21 through 28, he's showing that they're righteous, and no one's righteousness, everyone fails. Everyone fails in verses 21 through 28, everyone. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Paul's point in Romans 3. And then he goes on to say, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So even as a Christian if we say we if we say we haven't sinned then you know we we're a liar and we make him a liar. So there's no doubt. I mean that's the that's I mean he's basically saying there that if we confess our sins. I mean we are able to confess through prayer to the Lord that we have sinned and that that's we receive mercy and grace, you know, when we do so.
0: So there is a difference then between being tempted and thinking about sin.
1: Being, yes, there is a difference. I can be tempted yet not sin. I, let's go back to that process and why it's so important for us to understand that process is because I do have the opportunity to say no to that temptation. I have the opportunity. So if I see something that I'm tempted by, you know, and, and something that would be sinful for me to do, if I see that and, and, I, and I say no to it, I haven't sinned. I have not sinned. But if I see that and I say no to acting on it, but yet I still have it in my heart and I continue to ruminate on it or consider it or think about it, then I have sinned. Now, if I have, if I have to that point, I have sinned, I've thought about it or I've acted on it, there is the answer of if I confess my sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, when I when I act unrighteously, when I do that, I still have the opportunity to confess that and to turn from it. I mean, it's not as if oh, I'm in, I'm you know, I, I'm eternally damned because I considered this thing. I mean, there's still the I mean, there's still the ability, according to John, there's still the ability to say, okay, I, I see this as sin. I need to I need to forsake it, and that's that's what you know. Ultimately, when you come to that re- recognition, that all. Again, Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I Look, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. I have, I mean, I've transgressed His law, and I deserve judgment. And, and that's, I mean, because everyone is undone before the Lord when it comes to obeying the law. And so then it comes down to needing grace. Then it comes down to, you know, that, that there has mm-hmm. to be grace in order to, to and, and how that happens and what, you know, that we get grace through, you know, what Christ has done on our behalf, if we believe, you know, that he went to the cross and died for us.
0: So is is ignorance a good excuse of sin? Like, I I didn't know.
1: You know, Romans 1, you know, Romans 1 verse, Romans 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And what Paul is saying here, and what Paul is arguing is that, that God is going to judge sin. He's going to judge ungodliness and unrighteousness. And he's going to, these men he's judging are the ones who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But who is that? He goes on to explain that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse for even though they knew God they did not glorify him as God or give thanks but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish heart was darkened and so what Paul is explaining there is that no one has an excuse and so they may sin in ignorance you know in a, in one sense but but it, when you get right down to it you know every man has enough revelation general revelation Every man has enough, a man, woman, and woman has enough general revelation of of the glory of God through His creation to be judged, and and so that's Paul again is talking about the process. You know that that foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an inc- incorruptible God for an image of in the likeness of corruptible man. He's talking he's talking about again that process that that sin spiral that we that we're trying to capture. You know that's the I mean that's what what we see here is again James is 114 you know James 114 and 115 is that there is a process that, that we go on you know that, that sin becomes worse and worse in terms of in terms of its implication in terms of what how we act and, and the sin against God and ultimately that leads to death and ultimately that leads to judgment and so so where where you are I guess the, at the end of the day where you are on that scale of how bad the sin is it doesn't at the end of the day it doesn't ultimately matter because you have know, the condemnation you know this condemnation is going to be ultimately the same
0: can you explain i we've heard these two terms the sin of omission and the sin of commission i've heard those a few times can you help clarify what those are
1: the sin of omission a sin is the result of not doing something that god's word teaches that we should do. It's generally used in contrast with the, the sin of commission or sins that, that a person actively commits. So, as an example, James in James 4:17, James says, "Therefore to one who knows the right thing and does not do it, to him is sin." It is sin. And so, it, the sin of omission is is not doing something that God's word teaches us to do. So, I you know, if if God says that I need to help my neighbor, and I choose not to help. I mean, the, the, a, a good example would be the, the uh, Good Samaritan, the, the account of the Good mm. Samaritan. You know, after the, after the man had been beaten and left in need of help, the first two men passed by and they failed to act. And so that's a sin of omission. They failed to do something that, that they knew was the right thing to do. And so they, you know, they omitted it. They didn't do it. Uh, the sin of commission would be actually doing something that you know is wrong. So if I, as an example, if I've been told, if I, if thou shalt not commit adultery and I commit adultery, that's and you know, I actually act on it and do it, that's a sin of commission.
0: Okay. So does the Bible show? We've heard. I don't know. If, I guess if you grow up Catholic, you hear this a lot. But does the Bible show that there are two types of sin? There's the mortal sin and and, and a venial.
1: Yeah, mortal and venial. Venial and no, those are actually an invention of the Roman Catholic Church. They they. Divide them into sin into two categories, the, like you say, the mortal and the and the uh, venial. And so, the mortal sin, according to the Catholic Church, is an intentional violation of the Ten Commandments in thought, word, or deed. Uh, so, you know, something that's committed in full knowledge of the gravity of the matter, so to speak, and it's it's it results and it results in a loss of salvation. And then, according to them. Salvation can be then regained through repentance and God's forgiveness. You know the way they see things. You can there's you know there's purgatory and you know that, that you can sort of there's the buying back of there's the purging of the sins and which is unbiblical as well. But the venial sin, on the other hand, is an, is a maybe a violation of the Ten Commandments, but it is committed unintentionally or without full full consent. Although damaging to mm. one's relationship with God, venial sin does not result in the loss of eternal life. Is what that's their you know that, that's I guess that's their understanding of the sins of commission versus. I was going to say it's very omission. similar to yeah, that. Very yeah, very similar. Yeah, um, but yeah, you know that their Roman Catholic theology is very very confused in tr- <laughs> in terms of in terms of sin and, and what what sin is and you know the Bible the Bible is very clear sin is a sin. And you know, a sin is a transgression of God's law, and and it doesn't matter, you know. Like James says, if you stumble at one point of the law, you stumbled on it all, and you know it's very. There's an exact standard. There isn't in terms of sin. Yes, there are implications. The implications in in this world increase in terms of how I, you know, what sins that I have I, I commit, but in terms of the condemnation, I'm condemned either way. If I stumble on one. Point. I've con- I'm condemned for having stumbled on it all. Right. I, I. There is a standard, and I don't. And I. And I don't match up to that standard. I don't rise to that standard. That's, that's the biblical issue. Is that there is a biblical standard of holiness and righteousness, and no one is able to reach that. No one. And other than obviously the Lord Jesus, yeah. and so, which who who did reach that standard. Who who does a. a is a, it? And I shouldn't say. I mean, in terms of, I mean, he is that standard. I mean, he is the standard. Yeah. I mean, it's not even that he reached it. He is that standard, and yeah. so, so yes. I mean, I, I, everyone's all for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. That is the message of Scripture, and all need grace to be made right with God. I mean, that's the message of Scripture. So,
0: so is is there a sin that leads to death?
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, that's a funny question to me because actually it's in Scripture. First John 5:16 and 17, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him or give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin leading not leading to death. So I mean, according to John, and the answer is yes. I mean, there is a sin that leads mm-hmm. to death. Now, the question the question then is that, you know, what does that actually mean? So the sin that, that does not lead to death, I, here's what I would say, the sin that does not, does not lead to death is any sin that we commit that we are by grace capable of truly confessing and repenting from. And so it seems like in the process of sin, it seems like in Scripture, that there there seems to be a point of no return you know there seems to be a point of that i that i can't i i'm past the, the point of being able to confess and, and repent it's interesting mm-hmm. in that in hebrews 12 16 to 17 you know it says um, for you know that we talks about this time about esau esau you know, to be sure that there are also no sexually immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it for years. And so, you know, the, there's a, there seems to be this willful type of sin that that continues for a lifetime that, I, that ends up being... a it putting a person in a position of being there just being no ability to repent. They just don't have the ability to come back from it. Now, you know, we're not, I don't think we're the necessarily the judges of that, although it does seem like from John that, that, you know, some people are, and we see it even with Paul, you know, giving them over to their sin, you know, the idea that, you know, that I don't, I just leave it in the hands of the Lord idea. I think that's more what he's saying is leaving it in the hands of the Lord that I don't, there's a certain point where I, I cease to pray for someone because, you know, it doesn't seem to be that it, you know, that there's repentance. And, and so I don't, I don't necessarily know when that happens. Right. I don't know. I do know this. If I have a heart to pray for someone, if I have a heart to pray for someone and I, and I continue to pray for them and I continue to pray for them, I do think that the Lord at some point removes that desire to, or that, 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 prayer, a desire for prayer for them. I do think that that happens, that they sort of go away. But I do know that if someone continues down that road for a long time, that they get to a point where they can't. And that seems to be, you know, the sin leading to death. It seems to be the, the answer to that. What I do want is for people to, as we think about this, I do want them to recognize the need for grace. And I mean, that is that is ultimately the desire here is that that when we start thinking about this and we start thinking about the consequences of sin, that we recognize our need for grace for all, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, there is we are all in need of His grace and mercy. And I think that's what this should, all of this should bring us to, is to fall at His knees and, and worship and to say, thank you, Lord, for dying for our sins and for taking that condemnation upon Yourself. So that, you know, I wouldn't have to suffer the wrath if I only believe in you. And so, you know, that it, this conversation really should drive us to the cross. It really should drive us to humility that, you know, if I, if I have the ability to repent from sin, that I recognize that that, that that comes from the Lord, he's the one who's shown grace and mercy toward me. And that allows me to to have, to repent, um, I think anything else, understanding it any other way, makes repentance a work. You know, I repent so that God shows grace and mercy to me. I think it's the other way around that God has shown grace and mercy toward me. Therefore, I'm able to repent. I think that's how. I think that's more biblical understanding of it. That I can't do anything to to gain salvation. No work. You know, there's no work. It's not a result of work. So that no man may boast that it's all of him. And you know, just recognizing that. You know that it's. I'm no better than I, in and of myself. I'm no better than the one who has fallen into sin and has, you know, can't, you know, is is past that point of no return, whatever that is, wherever that line is. You know, I, I'm, I'm no better than that person outside of the grace of God.
0: That's where that phrase comes in. That's so powerful. There, there, by the grace of God, go I. Yes. Because wow, yeah, like you just said.
1: Well, I mean, the Lord he gives us a conscience. Yeah, you know, Scripture informs my conscience. But he's given me a conscience to know, you know, that that warns me. It's a warning system for when when I'm falling into sin, a sinful issue. And so, you know, He's given us the ability to recognize these things. And you know, it's a it's it's up to us in some senses. I say, you know, in terms of our own working on our own sanctification. You know, with fear and trembling. I mean, it's our own salv- salvation that is with fear and trembling. You know, that I it's up to me to, to heed those things. You know, that if I if my conscience is is if I if it's going off, if the warning light's going off, that I actually realize that it's a warning light and and I need to take heed. Yeah, it's that's it's a there is a process that that sin goes through, and I need to listen to that and I need to watch for those warnings and and you know, recognize those opportunities from. You know to say no recognize those opportunities to turn from it but i also need to recognize that if i choose to continue on that path that i'm in, in huge danger and that that path does ultimately lead to death and you know and i may believe here's what i here's what we want to see it's make sure we understand too i may think i'm a christian but i could be deceived i can't here's what's interesting is that i can't have if i'm in sin if i'm walking in sin i can't have assurance of salvation that Mm. you know that if i continue in sin i can't be assured that i'm actually saved and so that repentance becomes you know even a greater even a greater point for the you know in in terms of the christian because because if i continue down that road of sin it could be very well that i'm not a christian and Mm. you know that i can't that i don't have assurance because i'm not a christian and you know it's very, very important as a Christian to really, you know, consider this this process of sin and consider that ultimately it could lead to eternal death and even damnation. Not, it's not that a Christian can lose his salvation, but it could be that a Christian is deceived into thinking that they're saved and they're really not.
0: Hmm. So to answer the question, when is a sin a sin? It's when lust is conceived and gives birth. Hmm. Would that be a good way to end it? I think so. I was a little heartbroken when you mentioned cake earlier.
1: <laughs> I didn't say cake was a sin.
0: Well, yeah, it scared me a little bit. It Scared you? Yeah, because I do like cake.
1: Yeah. Cake, if you are a glutton, is, uh, could be very sinful.
0: There for the grace of God, go away. Yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to Fresh Bread podcast ministry of Grace Bible Church Gainesville. For more information, go to gracegainesville.org. And thanks for listening.